Good morning. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and whether in print or application or something, and, and we can look at this passage together. About um, uh, Let me say, for those of you who are visitors who are here for the first time, our pastor, Drew Stevens, is away uh, in the States, for in the U.S., for about six months. Uh, my goal today is to make us really glad to get him back. So uh, I generally seek to lower expectations. So today should be a success. Um, about the time that, um, uh, that the first song that Trev led us in was written, I was in the mountains on a ski trip, so about 30 years ago, if I read the copyright date on the song. Um, I was uh, on a ski trip, and I, was, um, I got up to the top of the mountain. It was with a large group of university students. And as I got there, part of our group said that someone in our group had lost his ski and had somehow gotten buried beneath a bunch of snow and needed help finding it. Of course, you can imagine how fun, much fun it would be to snow ski with only one ski. So we thought, sure, you know, he's our friend. I guess we'll help him. So, you know, we go over where, but as I got over there, I realized that the ski didn't belong to anybody in our group. It actually belonged to a guy that I had met in God's providence the day before and had shared the gospel with him. So I really prayed, God, let me find this ski. And in, in God's good providence, I found the ski, I picked it up, handed it to him, and, and before we parted, I said, you know, it's no accident that we met yesterday, that we talked about the things we did, and that we've met again today, that, that this was lost and now found, and it just may be that, that as you are lost, perhaps God is pursuing you. I'd love to tell you that... Uh, he just bowed his knees right there and gave his heart to the Lord, and he's a missionary today. I have no idea what happened. I don't even remember what he said. I just remember he stared at me like I had hit him, and maybe the Lord was doing something that I couldn't see. But, you know, we exchanged a few more words, then we went our separate ways. But it was, for me, a, a striking example, really, of what we see today, of how the Lord pursues things that are, are lost and found and the joy that comes from that. I was returning from a trip this week on a plane, Friday, I think, and uh, a couple sat beside me, and the husband turned to the wife and said, so, you have your passport? And she panicked, freaked, and, and it was, of course she had her passport, she couldn't have gotten on the plane without it, but the sheer panic that sets in when something that you need, something that's precious, is lost, and then it's found, there's a sense of, of relief and sense of joy. Well, that is what we see in the passage that we have before us today. We have this, this Three stories of loss and recovery and the joy that comes from it. So I want us to walk through that. I appreciate Eunice reading the first two parables for us. And I want us to think through those. Um, before we do that, I want us to get an idea of the setting. Um, of course, it says there in verse 1 uh, that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Now, tax collectors um, are rarely popular. Okay, any, any tax collectors in here today? Okay. You know, nobody likes you. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, I'm sure personally you're fine. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a hard job to have, right? Because it's like it's not, you're not voluntarily giving money and you're there to enforce that. It's, it's just, it's hard. And in this setting especially, tax collectors, oh good, my slides didn't make it. For, for a while I thought they were going to be stored safely on my computer at home, but they did indeed make it. So, um, the um, tax collectors 
were seen by Jewish people of that day as traitors because even though they were Jewish people, they worked for Rome and they often extorted people. That is, they demanded more than they were legitimately allowed to assess and they pocketed the difference. And so many of them became wealthy at the expense of their countrymen. So they were, they were a despised group of people. You can read Luke 19 and Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus and, and just how, how the grace of God transformed him. You get an idea. Matthew, the, the disciple, had been a, a tax collector. But then this other group is called sinners, and we don't know their specific sins. But, you know, when that word is used, you just know these are, these are people that have messed up, and they know they've messed up, and everybody knows they have made an enormous mess of their lives. And they are not the people that, you know, the father wants his uh, young daughter to bring home as a prospective husband, right? <laughs> that's, that's not what you want. And yet, these are the people that were drawn to Jesus. I, I find that fascinating. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in all he did, and yet broken people are drawn to him. I'm just, I'm really challenged by that. Then we find the other group of people, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were men who had devoted themselves to the study of God's law and to the traditions that had arisen in connection with the law. Um, they really focused mostly on outward performance rather than the inward heart. Um, they had hundreds of, of regulations, laws, traditions that, that had to be kept in order to be, quote, righteous. Um, they were dedicated. They were obedient. They were outwardly righteous, and they were deeply offended by Jesus. They hated Jesus. So they complain then in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Hallelujah, right? Jesus receives sinners. Isn't that great? In response to their complaint, though, Jesus tells these three stories. We call them parables. They're, they're uh, stories intended to illustrate a spiritual truth. So the first one, and Eunice read the first two for us. The first one is about a lost sheep. So being a frustrated prof, we'll just have a little quiz this morning, and we'll, we'll do a little review, right? So the first parable, what was lost? A sheep. Boy, that was a very tentative whisper, but I heard it, right? Yeah, you can, you can respond. That's right. What was lost to sheep? What happened then? Yeah, shepherd, shepherd went to find the sheep. And what happened when he found the sheep? He picked it up, put it on his shoulders. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful, tender picture? Rejoicing, comes home. And then what does he do? I'm going to take that general mumbling to say he called his friends together and said rejoice I found my sheep you know they didn't even know the sheep was lost and yet they're expected to be happy that it's now it's found just he just expects them to enter into his joy and Jesus tells this as if it's normal I mean he says verse 4 what man among you I mean this is this is what you do if you lose something that's precious you go look for it you find it and you bring it back, and you're happy. You're at least relieved, joyful when it's found. And if it's really precious, you call together friends and neighbors. You want a lot of people in on the joy. So then we go to the second one. What was lost? A coin. Good, you guys are catching on. What happened to the lost coin? What happened then? She, she sweeps the house. She lights the lamp. She looks carefully all over the house until she... Finds it. And when she finds it, what does she do? She rejoices. She calls her friends and neighbors together. Rejoice with me. The coin I lost has been found. Again, Jesus describes this as normal behavior. 
What woman, if she has ten silver coins, loses one, doesn't do this. This is, this is what you do. And then, I brought my evil twin with me today. <laughs> I thank God for Alex. Yeah, you know, that's maybe the first time in my life I've heard that, so... Usually there's less of me. In fact, uh, we got back from the U.S. and I actually had to lose weight so that there would be less of me. So I don't know. Karen seems happy that there's less of me. So anyway, we'll just move on now. So he tells these first two stories as normal behavior. If you lose something that's precious, you find it. When you find it, you rejoice. Then he tells this third parable. And it is a little bit different. It doesn't start off like this is normal behavior, although it's similar, it's different. And that's really where I want us to spend the rest of our time today. So in verse 11, we read this. See, if you closed your Bible or put it up, you have missed it. So you've got to find it now. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, so far, this parable is like the first two. Something is lost. Something's found, and there's joy at the recovery, but, but let's see a crucial difference. We understand if we think back to the first ones, sheep wander, right? We know that much about sheep. They just tend to wander, search of food. It's, it's not unusual for a, a sheep to wander and be lost. It's not unusual for a small thing like a coin to be lost. Easy to happen. But the younger son is utterly selfish. I mean, he's self selfish not shellfish, selfish to a shocking degree, not shellfish to a socking degree. That would be really awkward. Selfish to a shocking degree. Who would go to his father and ask for his inheritance while the father's still living? Can you imagine the the callousness in that? It is like saying, I wish you were dead. There is hardly a, a, a more callous way to say I do not want you in my life. I want what you have. Give me what would be mine if you were dead. And 
you know, just imagine the conversation, you know, hey, father, dad, how much will, you, will I inherit when you die? Oh, child, I don't know. Let's just pick a number. 10,000 euro. Done well, right? Wow. Well, can I go ahead and have that now? Because, you know, I've got some things to do. And he takes that and goes to a different country, as far away from the father as he can. So the younger son is not somebody that, that we feel sorry for. You just think, what a, what a terrible sign. But then at his lowest point, he remembers his father's servants. He remembers that they have food. So he decides he'll return to his father, and he prepares a speech to ask his father if he would be allowed to return, not as a son, but as a servant. Now, this is probably an intent to pay back what he has has caused his father to suffer, to somehow restore to his father the loss that his father has ignored. So he's picturing himself as with a, the rest of his life as a servant, simply working off a debt. And of course, when the father sees him, he sees him from a distance, and he just casts aside all sense of dignity and propriety, runs down the road, just falls on the son, embraces him, the son begins a prepared speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father doesn't even let him finish. He says, quick, bring, bring the robe, bring the ring, kill the fatting calf. We, we must celebrate. And the father restores him immediately as a son. And some suggest that by giving him a robe, he's not just making him a son, but calling him the guest of honor. It's, it's astounding. It's, it's a beautiful illustration of a father's love for, for lost and broken people. It's totally unexpected. I've, I've discussed this parable in a number of countries, number, different people, different cultures, and the most, I usually ask, so what would you do if you were the father and your son did this to you, and then he came back, what would you do? The most common response I get is, well, I'd take him back, but I'd beat him first. You know, I, I mean, that might be my natural inclination too, my sons, if you're listening, to remember <laughs> I don't, they're not listening. It's 3.30 in the morning where they are. So I hope they're asleep. So if not, you will be soon, right? Okay, so. But sometimes we come to Jesus like this. We come to Jesus like this younger son, broken, knowing we have offended, knowing we have sinned, and we think, I'm going to somehow make this up to you, Lord. So for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve you as if we could somehow pay him back. But Jesus is more gracious even than this father. There is, there is no payment back to be made. There is simply grace for the broken. That's not how it works. He forgives. It just doesn't work like that. I saw a Facebook thing from a a friend yesterday. I have a little daughter just like four years old. And the daughter said to the mother, Mommy, if you will... Uh, let me do this, I will give you a treat. You know, and the mom said, well, you know, that's, that's not how it works. Well, that's not how this works either. Jesus doesn't look for you to, quote, pay him back. There is nothing you can do except admit you are broken. That is it. There is no amount of payment you can make. There is no amount of restitution you can do. It is simply your brokenness. And so if you're here today and you know you're broken, if you know you're ruined and fallen, as I am and all of us are, then there is hope for you. As Timothy Keller has said, you are more broken than you know and more loved than you can imagine.
It's not amazing. It, it is worse than you know. I hope you know that. Now let's go back to the parable and we'll come back to talk about brokenness in a minute. So in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now let's look for a few minutes at the older brother's response. First, just by saying, look, he takes a, a demeaning and a disrespectful tone toward his father. That is just not the way a child would talk to his father in that day, or in this day, again, say to my children stateside. He takes a disrespectful tone, which, which may indicate his own lack of relationship with his father. He says, all these years, his focus is on the length of his service, how long he's been working, how long he's been slaving. He's indicating that he's looking forward to the end of that battle. He's looking forward to his father passing and him getting his share of the state. The more we look at this, the more we see the brothers are not that different. Neither one loves his father. They both just want what the father has. They're just going about it differently. He says, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He, he resents what he feels is harsh service, but we think back to this parable. And does his father come across as harsh to you? He doesn't seem harsh at all. If anything, he seems too kind. So it doesn't seem consistent with what we see of the father. Not to mention, they had servants, so I think it's unlikely that this son would have had the harshest share of the, of the work that was done. And then he says, you never even gave me a go. So he, he acts like the father has been unfair to him. He's been treated unfairly. Then in comparison, he says, but you kill the fatted calf for the brother who's gone away, squandered your wealth on prostitutes. He feels superior. He's like, I've been here. I've never left. This son of yours has squandered your wealth on prostitutes. I'm not like him. I'm better than him. So he's, he's superior. Now, if you think about who is listening to this story, remember, we started out with two groups of people. We have the tax collectors and the sinners, the despised, the people who know they have made a mess of their lives. They identify, I think, right away with the younger brother. Right? Now we come to this story, this part of the story, and it seems like the Pharisees and, and teachers of the law should identify with the older brother. This is... You know, every parable is like a joke with a punchline, and this one is just like a dagger at the heart of people who are pretentious and self-righteous. So this parable gives us tremendous insight into salvation. First, it tells us that, that there are two ways people are lost. There is the way of self-fulfillment or breaking the rules. That's the younger brother. So this is a person who's determined to be free from all constraint 
He's been on doing life his way, pursues what he thinks will satisfy pleasure, passion, possessions, wealth, success, the next high. I don't know what it is, but you've built your life on something. And that is what you must have. And, and that is you will cast off all restraint and, and every form of accountability or anything else to have that. Casting aside the rules. I, I will say uh, this, this describes me as a young adult. I left my family's home to go to university and uh, grow up, come from just family of extraordinarily kind people. And uh, I thought, I'm just tired of, of this. I just wanted to get away. And I wanted to live life my way. And that is what I did. About three years of that, I realized I was really making a mess of things by myself began to be open to spiritual things. And for me, I had, I'd, we'd grown up going to church, but I thought, you know, religion is, is a nice, convenient part of life, and I'll come back to that when I've had my fun. So that, that was my plan, okay? Uh, it didn't work out very well. Uh, the, the fun seemed to, uh, you know, it's like a kick that kicks back. So, the, you know, just didn't work out very well. As uh, I realized what a mess I was making of my life, began seeking God, a guy, so I was, I was like the younger brother. A guy came to a house where I was living with about 40 other younger brother types, stellar individuals, all of us, and he spoke to us about something that Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And I thought, oh, <laughs> all this time I've been thinking I'm free, and it's like my freedom. I was... With every, every rotten choice I made, I'm just brick by brick building a prison for myself. And I was in, in deep in bondage. And I, I thank the Lord. He just he set me free that night. That, that building, that house is no longer there. Uh, it's probably, you know, hazardous waste sign or something. But uh, uh, we were in the States earlier this year, and I was driving through the town. So I pulled over, and first I saw the dormitory where I stayed, which is, it was like smoke rising from the, was, I think they're about to destroy it. Now I drove back to this house where, where I had lived, and, and it's now a parking lot. And I, just, I just pulled in and, and just sat there a few minutes and just reflecting on my life and just grateful that, that Jesus had... First I said, I'm really sorry you had to come here to find me. But I thank you. I thank you for altering the trajectory of my life and began to reflect on all the good things he had done since then and it's just very humbling, very joyful. And then the campus police car was starting to look at me sort of funny, so I, I pulled away and went on my, my, my merry way. So there is the, the way to be lost that is self-fulfillment. You do your own thing. You cast aside restraint. You're bent on, on your own choices. You're breaking the rules. There's the other way to be lost. That is self-righteousness. That is by keeping the rules. That's the older brother. You say, what, keeping the rules and you're lost? Absolutely. You, you're not saved by keeping rules. You're saved by Jesus. So this is more subtle, yet in the end it's, it's more destructive because it hides behind layers and layers of self-control and presents a false appearance. And it becomes exceedingly difficult to admit that you are broken and rotten to the core. And you are and I am exactly that. 
So like the elder brother, if you remember that little interchange, the self-righteous are outwardly submitted to the Lord, but inwardly self-serving and lack intimacy with the Lord. The self-righteous are slavish. They do nothing for the Lord's sake, not, not doing good for delighting in the Lord or delighting in the good, but for self-serving motives. So we take a high view of our labors, our service, our losses, our sacrifice. The self-righteous are resentful. Elder brothers, the elder brother types, live as if we have this with unspoken contract with God. I do good for you, and you do good for me. But you know, life rarely turns out like that. Right? You know that, right? Things rarely go according to plan for us. I, I tell you, personally, I've struggled with this. As I pray to God and I pray about situations and I say, Lord, I have trouble trusting because I don't think you're going to do what I want you to do. <laughs> and it's like this voice behind a cloud says, yeah, and your point. <laughs> it's like, really? So that, that's right. It's not going to turn out like you expect. In the end, it's good. But I struggle when things don't go like according to plan. So older brother types, the self-righteous, when God seems to, to not be keeping his end of the bargain that he never made with us, we become resentful, angry at God. Maybe this has been you. Maybe you know people like this. I've served God all my life, and then this happened. And they're angry and bitter and resentful because God didn't do what they expected him to do. So the self-righteous are also superior. We constantly compare ourselves to others who don't perform as well. So it makes us feel better, right? So we're harsh, just as, as this older brother was harsh with the, the self-fulfilled. Imagine a, a church of older brothers. And if you've been in a church of older brothers and a younger brother comes in, wow. We're in a church, they said, the delightful church, and They've, they've done some things with contemporary worship, and I have said to the people who are older, you know, don't be upset. They're going after younger brothers. It's, it's a good thing. It's good. So let me say, uh, you know, I, I don't know about your journey, but for me, and I've shared how I, I came to Christ, but what I found is that I came to Christ, loved the Lord. It was, I was new. I mean, I, was, I, was, I told you I was living in this house, and... and the Lord just made me a new creature. I felt as if I entered that room that night one way and left another, even though the door was the same. I just, you, you, if you have been through that kind of experience, you understand what I'm talking about, just the sheer joy of knowing Christ, knowing forgiveness. And I was different. Vices just seemed to lose their hold on my life. It was amazing. Got connected with the church followed the Lord of baptism, those kinds of things, began to learn how to behave like a Christian. And slowly over time, I turned into an elder brother. That's something. Like I learned how Christians are supposed to behave. And then some other knucklehead comes along, and I'm thinking, well, who do you think you are? A friend of mine is a pastor in Nashville. He took in a stray dog, and the dog was just wounded, abused, and he just spent weeks just nurturing this dog and coaxing him and, 
and, and building trust. And finally, the dog, you know, began to trust him. He's in the house and he's feeding. And, and my friend Scott was standing at the door of his house with his new dog beside him, looking out the window. And a stray dog walks in the yard and his current dog starts growling. You know, it's like, what are you doing in my yard? You know, like, and he looks down and like, well, you're like an older brother dog here. You know, it's like, you know, that was you once. We, we forget that we're broken and we learn how to behave outwardly and we lose that intimacy with God who we begin thinking we're better than others. We be, slowly but surely this, this unspoken contract creeps in and we think, I do good for him. He's going to do good for me. So let me say especially to you uh, in this room, brothers and sisters who are here in cross-cultural ministry, some of you are in vocational ministry, you're here as church planters, missionaries, something like that. Some of you are here in marketplace missions. You're here with legit jobs. And, and uh, you know, in contrast to guys like me, um, there is a subtle tendency to look at what we have sacrificed over time to begin to think, Lord, I've given this up for you. You have to. You have to do good for me. And when things don't turn out like we expect, we get bitter. We get angry at God. You need to know you're broken. And I'm broken. And that contract is not something God ever signed up for. Now bear in mind, he gives you in the gospel more than you could conceive. But God's not interested in some kind of two-way contract here. He is Incredibly gracious. So as we think about this, this final parable, let me ask you, which, which son is broken? They both are. Which son is lost? They both are. Which son is loved? They both are. Does Jesus love the Pharisees? Yes. Do he love the broken? Yes. The difference between them? The sinners and tax collectors knew they were broken. The Pharisees could not admit that. That's it. So you need to know whether you identify with the younger brother or the older brother, you need to know this. You and I, are, we're more broken than we know. I mean, we are sick. You're sick from head to toe. Maybe not in your actions. Maybe in your words or not. Choices and thoughts and motives and affections and ambitions. I don't know how deeply the Holy Spirit needs to probe to your conscience to help you understand that you and I are broken. So we say in the southern U.S., weren't, which is like ruined. So, wow. Okay, so, like a joke, but not funny. All right. Um, <laughs> Except we do say that in the southern U.S., weren't. So I'm weren't. Uh, but I'm going to move on now. So we're broken. You're broken. You're sick from head to toe. It doesn't mean that you are the absolute worst person that's ever lived. What it means is that every part of your being is affected by sin. Everything. So no, it would be easier if lost people all lived like Hitler. We don't. I mean, some, there are lost people who don't know the Lord. Very nice, good, stable people. All by grace. But 
there is a tendency to forget how broken we are. We can, we can make ourselves look good, and you look very nice today, but I'm telling you, below the surface, there is brokenness in, in each one of us. So we're more broken than we know, but we're more loved than we can imagine. Jesus knows the depths of our sin and our brokenness, and he loves us. He loves each one of us. As Albert Muller says, Jesus loves us more than we love our sin. And so really, the, the next step for you, the first step for you, for me, is if you want to find or recover intimacy with God, delight in him, is to drop the pretense and just admit you are broken. When you do this, you will find he is gracious beyond your imagination. Jesus himself promised, John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will never drive away. Just know, if he, all that he suffered for us, he's, he's open to receiving you. You need to know that. As we prepare to move towards celebrating the Lord's Supper, I want us to, to notice something in these stories. All right. So in the first parable, a sheep was lost. The shepherd searched for it found it, brought it home, and rejoiced with his friends. In the second parable, coin was lost. The woman searched high and low for it, found it, rejoiced. In the third parable, the son or brother is lost. Who searched for him? And you look in the story. Who searched for him? Nobody. And what, you, I think, okay, the father's probably older, probably not physically able to go to a journey of that distance, why not the older brother? Well, if I were the younger brother, I think I'd be glad the older brother didn't come after me. I mean, you know, can you imagine what that would have looked like? Maybe you've had encounters like that with the self-righteous. It's, it's, it's not pretty. So this brings us to realize that the older brother that Jesus' hearers needed and that we ourselves need was standing in their midst the whole time. Though he had lived in the fullness of fellowship with his father, he added deity, added humanity to his deity, lived a life of delighted obedience to the father, even though that obedience took him to a cross, where he suffered not just the physical pain of that experience, not just the emotional pain of, of insult and rejection by his people, but also the spiritual pain, the spiritual cost of being judged for our sins. You've heard me say this before, but he was, he was bound that we might be freed. He was stripped that we might be clothed, banished that we might be brought in, thirsted that we might drink, broken that we might be healed. And even today he pursues us in relentless love. So as we look toward transitioning to the Lord's Supper this morning, let me close with three challenges. First, as we celebrate the Supper this morning, just admit your brokenness to the Lord and enjoy His grace. Just drop the pretense. You can admit to the Lord, I am broken and sick and rotten to the core apart from your grace. Second, as we celebrate the Supper this morning, Remember, there's a cost to forgiveness. That is, when the younger brother came back and the father restored him as a son, that meant he now gets an inheritance. Well, well who, who pays for that inheritance? Well, the older brother does. 
Because remember, the younger brother got his share, and he left. He comes back, he gets another share, only that comes from the older brother's share. There's, there is a cost. What does that mean? What I mean is the cost of forgiveness was borne by Jesus. When you forgive someone, what you do is, is free them from the the responsibility for whatever loss or injury they have caused you. If someone speaks harshly to you, you say, I forgive you, and you just you deal with that. If someone steals money from you, you say, I forgive you, and you don't expect them to pay it back. You bear that cost. You bear that loss. Jesus bore that loss for us. Every loss caused by every sin, he suffered. He paid. So yes, grace is free. Forgiveness is free. But it came at enormous, staggering personal cost from Jesus. So remember that as we take the bread and wine this morning. That there was an enormous price paid for you to be here today. Take part in this. But do it with, with joy, with soberness, with joy. It's the, the invitation is open. And third, I would just challenge you to be the kind of older brother like Jesus who pursues the broken. Don't be the kind of older brother that's self-righteous and superior and harsh to the younger, but be the kind of older brother that Jesus is to us who pursues the broken, shows them the Father's love, helps them reconcile. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that though we are broken, that is not all that is true of us, that you've reconciled us, you've made us new, and our our focus, our, our mindset now is no longer on ourselves and our rottenness, but our, uh, put all upon our Savior. And in these moments, as we are reminded again of the price you paid for us, I pray that those things will be real and precious to us, that you will seal those into our hearts and renew our, our hope in you and our love for you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.